What are we looking at here is a film review podcast. There will be significant spoilers in every episode, so if you haven't seen the movies I'm discussing, please do pause here and go see them before continuing. I talk about all kinds of films and all kinds of topics, so some content may not appeal to you. You can check out the content warnings in the show notes and decide if this episode is right for you. What are we looking at here? Hi everybody, welcome to the show. Today we're looking at why we find meaning in our stories and the importance of searching for it. We're going to start with an examination of a scene in Season 4 of Star Trek Discovery. The crew have been tasked with first contact establishing some kind of communication with an unknown species, labeled Species 10C, who seem to be energy-based rather than corporeal. Their communication in earlier random encounters has been difficult, and the crew are concerned that they won't be able to communicate with them at all, that their two species are just too different. Before engaging in first contact, the Discovery crew have a meeting of their various experts to discuss how best to approach the situation and what problems might arise. I'll just paint the whole picture for you here. Dr. Kovitch, the mysterious figure who seems to be an advisor or consultant, begins the meeting by explaining that whatever we think we know about Species 10C, we're wrong. However we think first contact will go, it won't. Our mere arrival could be perceived as an act of aggression. We have to find a way to communicate the distinction. Lieutenant Commander Oo points out the array of devices on the table in front of her. Isn't that what all these translators are for, she asks? No, Kovitch says. He tells her they're an illustration of confirmation bias. Dr. Harai laughs at this. Everyone but Kovitch looks at him in confusion. Hirai explains that the translators are based on the fact that we tend to look for what's familiar to us, and so with such an unknown species as 10C, it's naive to think the translators would even work. He then reassures Kovitch that his remark had indeed been funny. The discussion continues, with a reference to some of the delegates who plan to spend time investigating the 10C situation. Kovitch says, it's nice that the delegates are so eager for a three-hour tour outside the galaxy. Saru is completely confused by this and says, it'll take longer than three hours. Kovitch smiles and says, it's just a figure of speech. After the group has planned for what little it can, Kovitch says that he can't come on the first contact mission because of urgent matters elsewhere. Since species 10C have the ability to destroy the galaxy if no one can get through to them, Owo frowns at Kovitch and says, I can't imagine anything that might be more urgent. Kovitch tells her he intends to keep it that way, and the scene ends. So what's going on in this scene? This scene about communicating, reaching out, and understanding someone else? 
Well, it's really about the difficulty of communicating, reaching out, and understanding. Species 10C aren't even corporeal beings. Their language, if they even have a language at all, isn't anything like corporeal language. This entire meeting revolves around, and even begins with, the likelihood that first contact with 10C will probably not go well, and that nothing will be as they might expect. But it doesn't just say that in words. It demonstrates it to the audience. Let's look at it all again. Kovic mentions that whatever they think they know, they're wrong. He explains that the array of translators on the table is to point out how much they're not going to be useful. But the audience sees the same devices that Owo sees, and we're used to seeing them. We know that they translate English or Swahili or French into Klingon or Vulcan or Romulan. They translate even the languages of our enemies so that we can understand their litany of death threats and posturing, and they likewise can understand ours. When we, the audience, see the table covered in translators, our first thought is, how are they going to program them to communicate with 10C? Surely it can be done, because the translators have just always been there. We just always understand every member of the crew, and they always understand each other. We and Owo have taken the translators for granted. So when Kovic makes his comment about confirmation bias, we don't know why Hirai thinks it's funny any more than the other people at the meeting. Hirai has to explain it to us as much as to the other characters. But it's not just about explaining what Kovic meant about confirmation bias or about how the translators work. Hirai has to explain to us why he thinks the comment is funny. Even when we understand what Hirai's talking about, we may or may not really get where the humor is. It may not be funny to us, even if he tells us it's a joke. Harai reassures Kovic that it was funny, but this isn't something that Kovic seemed concerned about. Of course, Kovic doesn't do a lot of emoting. His face is typically impassive. His smiles are so gentle as to be almost the same as not smiling. He doesn't look unkind, but he doesn't look particularly friendly either. He just looks. He just has a face. Was he trying to be funny when he made the comment about confirmation bias? Was he worried about whether or not his joke fell flat? Even after Harai reassures him, we still don't know how Kovic feels at all. And of course Harai's reassurance is yet another example of the bias he just explained to us. Harai is assuming that Kovic needs that reassurance, because if he were Kovic, he would be joking, and he would want people to laugh at his joke. It's not about whether his assumption is hurtful or not, or if his intentions are good, because they clearly are. It's that his assumption might simply be wrong. Then Kovic refers to the delegates who want to take a, quote, three-hour tour outside the galaxy. He's quoting the opening theme tune of Gilligan's Island, wherein the characters had set out for a three-hour boat tour, only to get caught in a storm and stranded for years on a deserted island. The implication for those familiar with the show is that the delegates are proposing a course of action that will probably go awry or even be actually doomed, and at the very least take much, much longer than they imagine. 
But Saru, not being human at all, doesn't understand the reference. The thing is, though, that no one at the table would likely understand the reference. The first season of Discovery is set in the years just before the events of the original Star Trek series. Later seasons of Discovery are set almost a millennium into their future. No one, not even the humans who grew up on Earth, would know anything about Gilligan's Island, from which they were separated by at least 250 years. You might think, perhaps the phrase just entered the common lexicon. People don't remember where it came from, but they know what the phrase means. That would be perfectly valid, if that had happened. But three-hour tour, in my experience, has not entered human language as a stock phrase. It is used, but, again in my experience, only by those who were already aware of the show and the theme tune. So the character of Kovitch, a man from the 32nd century, well over a thousand years since Earth television was a thing, is referencing a TV show that none of the other characters, human or non-human, would have likely seen or known about. And the phrase has already not become a general part of the English language, so it almost certainly won't be 200 years or 1,200 years later. But there's also this to consider. Many of the other actors in the room are not old enough to have watched it when it came out or even when it was in standard syndication. That doesn't mean those actors don't know about it or that they haven't watched it, but there's a good chance they haven't. So as references go, Kovitch has made one that is unlikely to mean to his listeners what it means to him. This is not a common reference point in the context of the 32nd century. And, as references go, Kovitch has made one that probably won't mean anything to half the audience watching Discovery. The reference isn't particularly lost to time, but it's already pretty outdated, especially if the goal here is to make a broad-spectrum joke or to be universally understood. People unfamiliar with Gilligan's Island will understand it on about the same level that Saru understands it. It's a figure of speech and not a literal phrase and the humor of the reference will be virtually inaccessible. Kovitch then says he can't stay because he has urgent business elsewhere. Owo can't understand what could be more urgent, and he tells her he plans to keep it that way. His goal in this exchange with Owo is not to reveal anything, not to communicate, even though technically he could. If we, the audience, assume that the purpose of the scene is for us to understand the scene or for the characters to understand each other, then the scene and its writers have failed. But if we imagine that the purpose of the scene is to demonstrate all the things Kovitch is talking to the other characters about, then the scene is brilliant and the writers have been profoundly successful. Even when everyone in the scene is speaking the same language, both the characters and the actors, even when everyone in the show and watching the show is human and from Earth at a time when technology makes it possible to learn cultural references from all over the world, even then communication here was pretty ineffective. Humor is subjective. Feelings are subjective. Translators can only capture meaning at the level of the word. They can't convey intention or nuance. They can only translate the words that the other person actually says. 
The listener has to look for nonverbal signs that may not be there at all, or may mean something completely different to the speaker. How many times have you been misunderstood? How many times have you said, I didn't mean it like that? And those misunderstandings were probably with someone you were very close to. Communication is not easy, and sometimes it's failed without our even realizing it. And of course, Kovic's final offering is to point out that when we reach out to others, we might be assuming incorrectly that the other person wants to communicate in return, that our goals are the same, that we're all being honest, that finding common ground means that there aren't any secrets and everyone's on the same page. So how does the crew of the Discovery solve this problem? What do they bring to first contact with the 10C, and how does it go? The 10C have developed an alphabet of sorts, a set of chemical pulses that link feelings and thoughts to words and concepts. Luckily, the Discovery has a big old computer to do all the maths. The chemical alphabet is used to create a rudimentary shared language, and the 10C are convinced not to destroy the galaxy. But in the end, the 10C's decision was because they didn't want to hurt or kill other living beings, not because the corporeals had communicated their desire not to die. No matter how good the communication was or could be, ultimately the outcomes of the interaction still fell to the place where the corporeals hoped they shared common ground with the 10C. Empathy. And that brings us to why humans tell stories, why we put meaning in them and why we look for meaning when the stories are told to us. I called the third episode of my disaster film series Campfire Stories because that's the root and the purpose of those films, to recreate the dynamic of humans' earliest storytelling. We're social creatures who live in groups, and we come together around communal fires to talk with one another about adventures we've had or want to have, things that have happened to us or to others our theories about our creation and existence. We talk about our fears and what we think happens after we die. We talk about what constitutes a good group of humans and what constitutes a bad group of humans. Our campfire stories can guide us toward introspection, personal and social responsibility, self-improvement, and communal empathy. Our stories don't just entertain us, they keep us safe and teach us things, and encourage us on our way through what has always been a challenging world. Where does our clip from Star Trek Discovery come in? Technologically, humans are connected more and more to one another, but we still struggle to get along, to find compassion for others, and to make together the world we all say we want. We have the ability to translate any language into our own with just the pressing of a few buttons but we still have trouble really understanding where someone else is coming from, even if we already share a language with them, even if we share a house with them or our DNA. Because of our technology, we might think that we already understand, that we're already master communicators, when actually we may not be on the same page at all. Much like the corporeals and the 10C, we have to find a more basic alphabet, we have to find common ground in our thoughts and emotions, our fears, and our empathy. Our common ground can't necessarily be in finding the right words, 
It has to be somewhere more visceral than that. The place where we're not just our ethnicity or our politics or our gender or any other cultural element. The place where we're all just human beings. For me, disaster films are excellent common ground, but all stories, books, movies, TV shows, podcasts, creepypastas, all of them have the potential to bring us together. At the very least, stories can use imagery to convey concepts when words might not suffice. But on a more meaningful level, through the actions of heroes and villains and the consequences they receive, storytelling can help the audience see what helps humanity thrive and what hurts it, what lifts people up and what keeps them down. We can try to make sense of the world together instead of muddling through the confusion and bullshit by ourselves. We can define success or failure independent of any other label besides our basic, simple human self. Above all, we're connecting with the rest of the audience, not in a personal way where we're getting to know them as individuals, but as a bonding with group, with people who share our world with us and with whom we share a bit of ourselves. At this level, it isn't even about whatever meaning the story might have. It's about the sharing of the story. It's always interesting to find all the layers of meaning in something, but the real purpose of storytelling is to connect, to be able to share with someone, or with everyone, in a way that transcends the treacherous minefield of ordinary communication. Maybe the story we're watching or listening to has a thousand messages about good and bad, or right and wrong, or building something better. Or maybe it's struggling to even have a plot. Maybe one of us sees one layer of a story, while another of us sees a different layer. Some of us may find deep meaning in the smallest scene, while others do not. None of that ultimately makes any difference. All that matters is that we're experiencing it together. By connecting us as an audience, storytelling reminds us that we're all of us always connected, as people, and that we all have equal parts, then, in the story of our world. Thank you so much for joining me for these explorations into film and story and meaning. This episode marks the end of Season 2, and unfortunately, I'll be going on an indefinite hiatus. Hopefully you've found something in these episodes that piqued your interest, or caused you to see something in a new way, or even just encouraged you to look more closely at the stories all around you. There's always more to them than meets the eye. Thanks for joining me today. If you enjoyed it, please spread the word. If you want to check out my other content, you can visit my website at www.smrcooper.com. I hope you have a good week and that things go your way. And if you get a chance, watch a movie.